Let's pray. God, we are grateful and blessed to be in your presence. We pray that you would open up our hearts and our eyes to receive your word tonight. And uh, please be glorified in your midst, God, as we turn our worship from songs to worshiping you through the honor that we give your word. We do pray that you would be blessed and exalted tonight. So have your way with us. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so Wednesday nights, we are uh, we're reading through the Bible in a year. And Wednesday nights, we're doing a recap of kind of a specific point that we've covered. And, you know, I, I try to encourage us. And I hope we're all remembering and just kind of being aware of the fact that Wednesday nights is not a sufficient uh, period of time to wrap up all that we're reading in, th- in the through the Bible in a year thing. So please, please, please. Such a Scott Murphy line right there. Please, um, please do the reading on your own um, for a couple reasons. One, there's no way that I'm going to unpack everything in 30, 35 minutes that we've covered in the last 20 chapters. Um, and another reason is that you have a responsibility as a thinking Christian to make sure that what I say is accurate. And so if you're just taking my word for it that what I'm saying from the Bible is accurate... Um, you know, I mean, I'm doing my best, but you've got a responsibility to have your own relationship with the Lord, and we'll get into that a little bit more tonight. But, you know, do the reading not just um, for your own benefit, right, but for the collective benefit of the church, a church that, you know, the, the great problem with kind of American Christianity on the whole today is not that the church is illiterate, it's that the church is illiterate. It's not that they can't read, it's that they don't read. And, uh, and really, you know, I think our prayer for this church is that we would be a church that's well-rooted in the Word of God, not just because we teach the Word of God, but because as a group of people, we're collectively coming to the Word and saying, I want to hear the Word of God speak to my heart, right? And then, so, you know, I'm, as I'm sharing on Wednesday nights, I'm sharing from what the Lord's been speaking to my heart. But the Lord wants to speak something to your heart as well. So don't just... Uh, and I'm, you know, I know most of you guys are probably doing the reading, so I'm not picking on anybody. But don't see Wednesday nights as just a chance to kind of opt out of reading. See it as a chance to maybe as an add-on, right? It's an extra that should be a complement to what you're already doing. But um, be that as it may, last week's reading took us from Isaiah chapter 8 to Isaiah chapter 38. Uh, Next week's reading, starting tomorrow, is going to take us from Isaiah chapter 39 to Jeremiah chapter 3. And so right now we're in the middle of what's known as the major prophets. These are, um, we'll get into the minor prophets in a few weeks, and it's not that one is more significant than the other, so the major prophets are way longer, like majorly so. And so somebody said, let's call them the major prophets. And so the major prophets, you've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then you've got a lot of other guys who are your minor prophets. So Isaiah, we're, we want to remember a couple things as we're in Isaiah, kind of big picture, book of Isaiah. And then we'll try and break it down a little bit more specifically. But Isaiah really, on the whole, is God calling people to trust in him. And it's God 
saying, you need to trust in me. And, and then it's God giving examples and saying, okay, I'm going to demonstrate why you should trust in me. And here's from the past, here's from the present, and here's from the future why you should trust in me. And it's really remarkably gracious of God because um, a higher power owes nothing to a lower power. Right? I cannot stand up here and say, if the Queen of England does not come to my house tomorrow for dinner, she doesn't exist. Right? Because that's not how it works. Right? Because in a worldly standpoint, she's a little more important than I am. Right? At the very least, she has more things on her schedule than I do. Right? So I can't say she owes me anything. I can't say God owes me anything. But God, in his graciousness says, tell you what, I'll go ahead and I'll give you reasons. And Isaiah is 66 chapters of reasons why we should trust in God. And in its kind of overall perspective, all right? And um, as we're reading it, Isaiah can be a little bit confusing because God gives a lot of future references to validate, to basically say, here's what's going to validate even further who I am and the accuracy of what I'm saying. The challenge for us is that God is a lot bigger than we are. And so when we like to look at history or future events, we like to, you know, start and read it left to right or from your perspective, left to right. Right. Uh, We like to kind of see the beginning, the middle and the end. The challenge for us is that God exists outside of space and time. Right. And so God can tell a narrative and the narrative is, might have a short-term fulfillment and a long-term fulfillment, and might have a part that's straight-up literal fulfillment, and a part that could contain a, a bit of a metaphor or a lesson that we can at least glean from it in the context of its literal fulfillment, right? But it's a little more overlaid. And so sometimes, I, so if you're reading Isaiah and you're like, this is really confusing, you're not the only person to think that. So don't, so take heart. But it's still the Lord demonstrating and explaining his trustworthiness, okay? So that's kind of Isaiah in a nutshell, all right? Tonight, we're going to zero in on a couple points, and because we're uh, a little more linear-minded than the Lord is occasionally, the Lord's very orderly, so he does go very linear at times, but sometimes we wish he would go a little more linear, right? Um, But so tonight, we're going to kind of make point A, and then we'll make point B, and then when we get, if we don't run out of time, we'll get to the end, and hopefully it'll all connect and make sense. So we'll jump just a little bit in the beginning, and then it'll hopefully tie together, okay? But I wanted us to try and get a context, a little bit of a big picture. So uh, if you would, turn to Isaiah chapter 29, verse 11. And um, Isaiah, you know, the Lord is encouraging the people to trust in him, but he's also warning them. And he's saying... You know, it's a cause and effect universe. If you do something, something happens, something results. And so the Lord is saying, if you trust in me, there are going to be effects of that. And if you refuse to trust in me, there will be effects of that. And so um, chapter 29, verse 11, the Lord speaking through Isaiah to the people in the nation of Judah says, the entire vision will be to you like the words of a sealed book, which when they give it to the one who is literate saying, please read this. He will say, I cannot, for it is sealed. Then the book will be given to the one who is illiterate, saying, please read this. And he will say, I cannot read. Then the Lord said, because his people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. 
Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with, the, marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. So, verse 11 and 12 there, he says, this, this vision that I'm about to give you is going to be like a book that's it's going to be like a seal, a sealed uh, scroll. And you take it to one guy and you say, hey, can you read this? And he says, hey, it's not my, it's not my territory. It's got a seal on it. It's not my business, right? And you take it to somebody else say, hey, can you read it? And you say, hey, man, I can't read. And so the Lord is saying, it, it, this is really important here. The Lord is saying, I'm giving you this vision, but you are incapable of understanding it. Which is really an interesting perspective, right? That the Lord would say, I'm going to give you something that you can't use. But, but he specifies and he elaborates in verse 13. And he says, Because this people draw near with their words, and they honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition. The Lord says, I'm going to give you something, but you're not able to see it because you have removed yourself from me. I have handed you a gift and you have stepped away from it. You have backed off from that for the sake of traditions. For the sake of reverence and lip service. And that's it. That's as far as it's going to go. All right? The Lord said, because of that, you have now stepped out of the ability to receive what I'm saying to you. So, for us, we've got to, we've got to catch what Isaiah is, you know, Isaiah is warning the people in the nation of Judah specifically, right? But is there application for us? Absolutely. Because what's happening here? Tradition killed the people's ability to hear from God. And if we're not careful, in our lives, traditions can kill our ability to hear from God. Because what do we like to do as Christians? We want nice packages. We want, we want everything boxed up and labeled. Right? Here's how God likes to operate. If I go into a church service, it should exist in this form. Right? If I go to whatever, it should, it should look like this. I want my life bundled up in these neat, tidy packages that I can understand. And it looks and feels so spiritual. Right? And if we're not careful, all of a sudden, you can look incredibly spiritual and have no active relationship with the Lord. Right? And this is a challenge for each one of us. This is a challenge for me. I have to, I mean, it's like, I play this track on repeat in my life, right? Like, I read the Bible in the mornings. Great, okay? And it's like, I, you know, I go to a conference or whatever, and I come back, and I'm just like, man, I'm on fire. Like, I'm, I'm ready to go. What does the Lord want to say? Right? And that's, just, that's great. And, and you, 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 know, you fellowship with the Lord, and you're trying to pay attention. And then you sleep in late one morning, and man, you're just in a little bit of a rush. So you're just gonna, but you've got to do the reading, because it would be unspiritual not to. Right? So you know, I happen to be like the fastest reader in our family. So, um, you know, woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan, but not mine, and make an alliance, but not in my spirit, in order to add sin to sin, who proceed out of Egypt. Okay, I got it. Right? I mean, I can zip through three chapters really fast. Um, if we had prizes for speed reading the Bible, I could probably win. But, um, but there's not a lot of, like, gleaned application. But I felt spiritual, right? I might even, like, write down a verse that has some relevance to my life, right? But I, and I kept the tradition. I read the Bible in the morning, but I had no real fellowship with the Lord, 
right? And what I'm doing right there is I'm removing myself from the ability to hear the voice of the Lord. So the Lord, kind of point one for tonight, is that the Lord is interested in a relationship with us. He is not interested in a religious experience. The Lord could care less. So I couldn't care less about lip service and about traditions if they come at the expense of actual relationship. Traditions aren't bad, okay? But they are awful when they become a substitute for an actual relationship with the Lord, right? When a spiritual thing becomes a substitute for fellowship with the Lord, that's when we run into major problems. So that's, that's kind of thought number one. Turn over to chapter 31. We're going to start in verse 1. And this one is nice because the Lord keeps it really straightforward. And this is to, again, this is the Lord speaking through Isaiah to the people of Judah. We're going to start in verse 1. And he says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But they do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Yet he also is wise and will bring disaster and does not retract his words, but will arise against the house of evildoers and against the help of the workers of iniquity. Now the Egyptians are men and they are not God. And their horses are flesh and not spirit. So the Lord will stretch out his hand and he who helps will stumble and he who is helped will fall and all of them will come to an end together. So we need a little bit of historical context here. Isaiah is prophesying at a time when the nation of Assyria is coming to world power and making very aggressive postures toward the nation of Judah. And so there's a real, a very real national security threat. Okay, well, the next competing world power was Egypt. Okay, you had on a map, from your guys' perspective, you had Assyria up here, Israel here, and Egypt here. When, the two, when you're right in between the two biggest world powers, that's not very good. That's no bueno. And so Israel is, Judah is not really going with Assyria because it's really too dangerous um, is you stand to lose too much. But there's temptation to go down to Egypt and say, hey, let's make a deal. You know, we can kind of help you. We're a little bit of a buffer zone for you guys. So maybe you want to set us up with some equipment, you know, maybe some fighter planes, maybe a little this and that. We could kind of, you know, do whatever. And the Lord says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. Because the Lord would want Judah to rely on who? Him. Right? The Lord doesn't want the nation of Judah relying on Egypt. And it's important for us to understand, in the New Testament, Paul tells us that the things that happened to the nation of Israel or the nation of Judah happened to us as examples. So we're given permission in the New Testament to use some of the Old Testament history as word pictures to apply to our lives. Okay? So throughout the entire Old Testament, whenever we see Egypt... It always winds up being a picture of the world or the world system or walking in the flesh, okay? And so really, the Lord is warning the nation of Judah through Isaiah, but he's also warning us through Isaiah, all right? So if Egypt is a form of the world, then he's really saying, woe to those who look to the world for their help. 
Now, you may not be tempted to make a religious experience a substitute for the Lord. But deep down, at the end of the day, I think all of us are sooner or later going to be tempted to put our trust in something other than the Lord. Something that feels just a little more accessible. Right? A little more like, I can kind of wrap my head around this. I kind of understand, you know. The stock market is bumpy, but it's really been riding a consistent curve for the last hundred years. And if you're okay riding out the bumps, stock market's going to keep going up. Right? Or whatever. Choose your security of choice. Um, or a lack of security of choice. Right? But uh, maybe it's, you know, real estate pretty much always goes up and then it, bop, it pops and goes down. But if you're really savvy, that's when the real opportunity is and it'll come back up and now you can make some serious money or whatever. You can put your security in all kinds of things, right? You can stockpile all your food. You can stockpile your ammunition. You can, you can put your trust in all kinds of things, right? But the Lord would say, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. So, we have to ask ourselves, what, or more appropriately, who are we putting our trust in? Because the Lord does not want us putting our confidence in the things of the world. Right? So as we're looking at Isaiah, remember, Isaiah as the overall picture is all about trusting in the Lord. Okay? So step one, trust in the Lord in a relational sort of a way. Step, point number two, trust in the Lord to the exclusion of trusting in the world. Don't believe that the world can offer you more security than the Lord is capable of. All right? So, but I want us to now take it to kind of the next level and see in, you know, in understanding that what the things that happened to Judah are a picture for us. The Lord gives them this whole warning about don't trust in Egypt. And then in chapter 36, um, we get a story, a narrative. It's, it's actual history. I don't want it's not a story in a fictitious sense. Um, we get an actual retelling in history. And in the Old Testament, this story gets told and written down more times in greater detail than I think any other event except the captivity of Jerusalem. Okay? This gets repeated three times in the Old Testament. And you think about all the stories that we know in the Old Testament, they get told. Okay? We get told, you know, I mean, it gets referenced like the Lord brought you out of Egypt. We hear that one a bunch, but we don't get the whole, we get the whole story once. We get the story of each of the judges once. Okay? The story of Dave, some of the story of David we get twice. We get the fall of Jerusalem, I think four times, maybe five. But we get this story three times. This is one of the most repeated stories in the Old Testament. And so it's worth paying attention to. So at the time, the king, is the king of Judah is Hezekiah. And we'll, we're going to kind of do a quick cover of chapter 36 and 37. We're not going to read all of it word for word, so don't panic. Um, some of you were panicking on the inside. I know. Um, but anyways, starting in chapter 36, verse 1. It says, Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah... Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. And then he goes on, and he, so he seizes all the outlying cities. And remember, this is Sennacherib. He's the king of the reigning world power at this time. And he comes up and does this. And, and just a couple thoughts real fast. This happens in the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign. In the book of Chronicles, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it says, 
Now, after these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib came up. Right? This is the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign. And you have to understand, Hezekiah had not wasted those 14 years. Hezekiah had spent 14 years serving the Lord, destroying idols, trying to undo all the damage that his wicked predecessors had done. Right? I mean, he had been serving the Lord. And after all these acts of faithfulness, his reward from God was that the reigning world power decided, you know what, I'd like to conquer you. Does that ever feel backwards? Because the challenge for us as Christians is that God will not always operate in the way that we think that he ought to. All right? But we're going to hold that thought. We're going to get there. Okay? God does not operate according to how we want him to sometimes. And that is not easy for us to understand. But the Lord's, the reward for faithfulness very often is a bigger challenge that will allow us that chance to be stretched that much more so that we can grow that much more so that we can become that much more faithful. So if you want an easy life, you shouldn't really be a Christian. Okay? The Lord is calling us. The Lord is inviting us to faithfulness. But with that, he's also inviting us with a warning and saying, hey, you know what? I am offering you a heavenly reward beyond anything you can imagine. In the book of Job, it talks about all the wonders of the Lord that we can see. And then Job says, these are the whispers of God. What's it like when God thunders? You think about that, right? Every, the most glorious thing we can imagine right now is the whisper of God. What's it like when God thunders? Right? That's what he's offering us. He's offering us the full thunderstorm of his glory. But along the way we might occasionally find ourselves in challenges. And sometimes, for some of us, they're big challenges, right? I'm not cutting that short at all. I'm not, I'm not denying that reality. Some people have hard lives, right? And that's totally real. And we're not denying that at all. But we also can acknowledge, based on the Word of God, that we're still, you know, the, the best we can see right now is the whispers, and the thunder's coming, right? And so I want to see the thunder, right? So after these acts of faithfulness, this King Sennacherib comes, and he sends his general. If you were reading it, um, his name is Rob Shaka. It's like the old word for general, okay? Just kind of like Pharaoh or Tsar basically mean king or emperor, right? It's just the Assyrian word. So this guy comes, and, um, and he's, he's really he's, he's bad-mouthing Hezekiah, and, um, but he says something really interesting. He, he's threatening them. He's trash-talking them. And he says in verse 6, Behold, you rely on the staff of this crushed reed, even on Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt, all who rely on him. So this guy recognizes, if you guys try and trust on Egypt, it's not going to do you any good. Right? In its own ironic sort of a way, the world is often capable of recognizing that the world is not sufficient. Right? The world is looking for something better than the world, but in the meantime, they're mad at us because we won't just accept that the world is all that there is. It's like they're desperate for it, but they're mad that we claim to have found it. Right? And so, so notice, we're, we're trying to kind of build this picture, and then we're going to try and connect the dots all at the end. So sorry if it's not linear enough. But... Um, but even a sinful man can recognize Egypt, or in our, as we're applying it, the world is not going to offer any real security. Um, in verse 18, 
He says, beware that Hezekiah does not mislead you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. And this is a really pivotal verse here in this chapter. This is where things start to turn. This guy's been trash-talking and saying, look, you guys don't have strength. You don't have power. Egypt isn't any good source of strength for you. You really have nothing. And then he starts making his mistake. He says, beware that Hezekiah doesn't mislead you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. Have any... One of the gods of the nations delivered his land from the hand of the, of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sephavim? I have no idea how you pronounce that word. And when have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their land from my hand that the Lord would deliver Jerusalem from my hand? So, so notice what just happened. The guy made his... You know, like every criminal makes one mistake, right? This guy just made his mistake. He said, you know what? The world can't offer you anything. You have no real source of strength. You have nothing to depend on. To which, candidly, each one of those statements of his were true. And then he says, the Lord is no more capable of delivering you than any of the other gods of the other nations have been, have been able to deliver them. And all of a sudden... The game just changed. Because all of a sudden, this is no longer about Assyria versus Judah. This isn't about King Sennacherib versus King Hezekiah. This is about God versus someone who doesn't believe that he's capable. Right? And, and we said that, you know, God doesn't always work according to our expectations. Right? But one thing we can always understand in the big picture is that God will always work to glorify his name. So, um, again, we're, we're jumping here because we're running short on time tonight. But, um, so then the Lord says, the Lord steps in. The Lord says, okay, tell you what, Hezekiah, step aside. I'm going to take it from here. Thank you very much. And so we get this, it's kind of complicated. Basically, the army winds up leaving because there's uh, a foreign threat elsewhere. But they then send Hezekiah this letter and say, like, hey, we left temporarily, right? We'll be back, and you better, you know, get ready. And they're just being super threatening and all that jazz. Um, so Hezekiah gets this letter, and, um, and then Hezekiah took the letter, chapter 37, verse 14. Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And listen to all the words of Sennacherib, who sent them to reproach the living God. Hezekiah doesn't say, they sent them to reproach me. He says, they're reproaching the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated all the countries in their land and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, so they have destroyed them. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand that all the kings of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. So Hezekiah comes face to face with this challenge. Right? He gets a letter, a very threatening letter, that um, is backed up by hundreds of thousands of warriors. Right? This isn't just like an idle threat. Um, this is like real stuff. And Hezekiah does not say, God, would you fix my problem? Hezekiah 
in one of his, really one of his greatest moments of wisdom, says, Lord, this guy's coming for us, and we don't have anything to do, anything we can do. But we are handing it to you because we recognize that you are God at a level that this man does not. And we are asking you to defend your name. And along the way, we would appreciate it very much if you delivered us. Right? Hezekiah's emphasis here is on what the Lord is doing. Right? He is not interested in a religious experience where you can say, well, if we just, you know, hold the lamb right and, and you know, sacrifice the lamb properly and, you know, do the bob and the weave and the wave and the nod and all this stuff, we'll be taken care of. Hezekiah isn't praying a scripted prayer here. Right? Hezekiah is speaking to the Lord in a relationship. Right? Hezekiah is looking for, I want to understand what the Lord is doing right now. I don't want some sort of tradition right now because my tradition isn't going to get me very far. But I don't want some sort of lip service because that's not going to get me very far. I want to experience God right now because if I don't experience God right now, I am dead. And in his case, it would have been literal because he would have been dead. Right? So Hezekiah, you know, we're, we're trying to build this picture, right? Woe to those who go down to Egypt. Woe to those who put their strength in the world. Beware of going into a religion instead of a relationship and pulling yourself out from that ability to receive what the Lord is saying. And now we get the example of Hezekiah doing the right thing. It's so much fun, right? In the Old Testament, like, we don't get a ton of examples of, like, here's the right thing to do. We get a ton of things not to do. But in this case, it's a great picture because Hezekiah is doing the right thing. And <clears throat> starting in verse 21... It says, Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent word to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. She has despised you and mocked you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She has shaken her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. So the Lord all of a sudden now, he's not seeing Judah as this you know, tradition-heavy group. All of a sudden he says, no, he just insulted my daughter. Right? Hezekiah, in going forth in a relationship context, put himself in a position where he's just so much more open for the Lord to step in. Right? The Lord at this point doesn't have to say, you know what, stick with your traditions. It's all you've been doing. The Lord says, no, no, you know what? You came to me and now you're going to get to watch me defend my daughter, right? And uh, he says, And against whom, whom have you approached and blasphemed? And against whom have you raised your voice and haughtily lifted up your eyes? Against the Holy One of Israel. The Lord says, this is no longer just about him and you. This is about him and me. It's time for me to step in. Through your servants, you have approached the Lord. And you've said, with my many chariots, I came to the heights of the mountains. And he goes on and says, you know, you've been, you thought you were insulting Judah, but you weren't. You were insulting, you know, if I insult, if you insult someone's daughter, you're really not insulting their daughter. You're insulting them, right? And even culturally, I mean, we joke about it as Americans a little bit, but there's still an understanding. If you want to make a man mad, you insult his daughter. And you can insult his wife, too. But um, there's actually a lot of things you could do to make a man mad. But insulting his daughter is a pretty guaranteed way to do it, right? And the Lord now says, all right, you didn't go to Egypt. 
you came to me, right? If a, if, if a young woman gets insulted and she goes to her punk boyfriend or she goes to her dad, who's going to stand up for her, right? The dad. The Lord says, okay, watch this. And so he goes on and says, you know, he, he goes going from there and then... Um, and he says, because of your raging against me, talking to Assyria, and because your arrogance has come up to my ears, I have had it up to here with your arrogance. Therefore, I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. Verse 35, so last verse for the night if you're worried. He says, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. So... You know, a couple, just as we're kind of looking at trying to connect the dots in Isaiah, okay, a couple thoughts, right? So just take note of these things that God wants a relationship, right? God is really, really interested in a relationship with you. He is really, really not interested in some sort of tradition or experience where you try to, you know, create a, a God vibe, Right? God is interested in a relationship. God does not want us to trust in the world. Because he recognizes, like we will recognize if we depend on him, that the world is completely incapable of satisfying or protecting or strengthening us in any way. And then lastly, okay, challenges come. And, and real challenges come. Okay, And... We're not denying that at all. And we don't always get the privilege of understanding how God wants to work. We don't always get to understand what God is doing. You know, the Bible really honestly does not provide a satisfactory answer for why is there pain and suffering in the world. It really doesn't. I mean, it gives us the historical context to say, here's where suffering came into the world. And, you know, here's where the world became broken. And here's God's plan to fix it. The Bible really... It's, it's really interesting. It's one of the big questions that the Bible intentionally does not answer. The Bible does not tell us what, you know, the Bible won't answer the question of why was your life hard or why have you had unfair things happen to you because that's, as, as significant and real as those things are, that is not the real question, right? The real question is, do you understand who God is? Right? And so we cannot sometimes understand how God is going to deal with challenges in our lives or with you know, past or present or future obstacles. But what we can recognize is that God is always going to deal with them in a way that glorifies His name. And we don't get to always see that in this timeline or the time frame that we would like, but the Lord is always executing things in a way that will bring glory to Him. And so, so just, you know, just don't lose sight of that, right? God wants that relationship. God does not want us to put our trust in the world in any way. And God wants to glorify himself. God wants to, to be exalted so that other people can see his glory. And tangentially, just, um, just kind of parenthetically as we're wrapping up. Right? We've all had challenges of different levels, okay? And some of us have had challenges that are way more significant 
than some others of us, okay? But we've all had challenges to, to some extent or level. And the Bible doesn't really give us a great answer, but I did hear a pastor say one time, and I think this is really relevant. He said, one of the amazing things about how God works is that our testimony becomes a prophecy. And the Lord, you know, the Lord doesn't cause evil to happen in our lives. But when it does, the Lord loves to redeem that situation. Because evil is a reality that will exist until the Lord comes again and ends it all. Right? And, but until that time, your challenge, your pain, your suffering, that's your testimony. Right? But the Lord is so capable that he can redeem that story so that you have the chance to encourage someone else who's going through something similar. Right? That really is, it's not, I mean, that's not always like a, it's like, yay, whatever. But, um, but your testimony can really become a prophecy for someone else of, you know what? I went through something just as bad as what you're going through. Oh, I went through something even worse than what you're going through. And God worked in my life so God can work in your life. Right? Because God loved me so much that he established a relationship with me and then I realized that the world couldn't satisfy me in any way and now all of a sudden I realize that God wants to glorify himself and so I want to live a life to glorify God. And all of a sudden, our testimony is becoming a prophecy for someone else. And that's, that's the privilege. We don't always get to see things in this night, nice, neat, tight packages. All right? The Lord does not promise us that. He doesn't offer us that. The question is not, will you understand God? The question is, are you willing to serve God even if you don't? Are you willing to understand that you won't fully understand what God is doing right now, but that He is working? That He is redeeming? That He is establishing? That He is glorifying His name? That He will defend Himself? Right? That is the overarching picture of what we're looking at. So that's the story of Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah for most of the rest of, the week, of this week. It's going to be a lot more exhortations to trust in the Lord, right? Be looking specifically, um, you know, really pay attention to Isaiah 53. We're looking at God giving us an example of why we should trust him and then think about how he fulfilled that, right? We're going to get into Jeremiah and we're going to see God's heart for people who are in rebellion against him, right? We're going to get to see a lot of raw emotion and how God loves. And it's a passionate thing, right? It's a very serious thing and we get a privilege of being participants. So next week is going to be, um, I think, super exciting. But do the reading yourself because God wants a relationship with each of us as individuals, right? So, God, we pray that you would help us to trust in you. God, just kind of like that overall theme of the book of Isaiah, I pray that, um, that we would respond to you, that we would ha establish that relationship, that we would receive that relationship from you. I pray that you would... Um, that you would glorify yourself in our lives. God, I do pray that... Um, for each one of us, as there's different challenges and obstacles, that, that you would just uh, show us your faithfulness, God, that you would give us uh, enough, enough faith to just continue to walk in obedience. I pray that you would 
glorify yourself in our lives for the glory of your kingdom. I pray that you would be exalted in our hearts, that we would just be recipients and responders to your grace and to your love. So please have your way with us, God. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.